PGCE Research Bites from the team behind Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. Hello and welcome to PGCE Research Bites, a showcase for the very best student teacher research from the Cardiff Partnership for Initial Teacher Education. My guest for this episode is Matthew Green, who's one of my very own PGCE secondary music students. Hi, Matthew. Hello, Tom. So you've just completed a research project, a literature-based research project for your lead partnership school. Now, we can't name that school because of the terms under which we received ethical approval for the research project from the university. But it's a school in Cardiff in South Wales. And this school picked the topic because it's of interest to them at the moment. So what was the topic they gave you? The, The school sort of gave a broad topic of quite simply an aspect of pedagogy in relation to blended learning and they really helpfully provided some aspects and some short reads and some long reads and a couple of videos on on different things like making it stick um, literacy in the classroom and maybe five or six other topics and um, helpfully as well they gave us an insight into what individual departments were looking at uh, throughout the year and the music department as a music specialist, I was particularly interested in, and they were looking at feedback. So out of this emerged this topic of feedback, which would be my pedagogical aspect or, or, you know, part of the pedagogy, feedback in relation to blended learning. So particularly interesting kind of area to look at there. And you had six sources that you were allowed to draw in uh, to look at in detail to kind of inform your conclusions on that. So what were the six sources you ended up with and kind of broadly, what did each one of them have to bring to the party? It's probably worth mentioning that all those six sources would form a critically annotated bibliography. So when when researching and when approaching this assignment, I wasn't setting out to answer the question or, or, or offer any authoritative conclusion about feedback in, in relation to blended learning. My aim was to present six texts that I or six pieces of research that I would that I felt were worthy contributors to a critical debate or, or, or developing understanding of this subject. So that meant I was kind of free to select a variety of sources and, and build a picture rather than saying, OK, like by the end of this, you'll know everything there is to know and, and, and we'll, we'll be in a perfect position to nail feedback in relation to blended learning. Instead, it was more about finding the sources that would that would maybe push forward understanding in the school, certainly push forward my understanding. And the, the other thing to say was that you know, I was pretty realistic about the context. What, why did the music department want to know about blended learning? Well, because they're having to do a lot more of it now than ever before. Why did they want to know about feedback? Well, probably because they've been giving feedback for years and years, and they'll be doing doing so for many years to come. So in that sense, actually, the feedback side of things, the pedagogy side of things, was maybe, for me, a little bit more valuable, especially as I began to research blended learning. Everything indicated that whatever technology, whatever domain you're working in, your pedagogy has to be sound. So from that perspective, it, it was really important that I nailed the feedback side of things. So one other thing, just just to give a, a, the last bit of context, um, the school that I was um, doing this research for, or with, I suppose, 
it's pretty clear that they place well-being really high up on the agenda, well-being alongside achievement. And I felt that that was a really important sort of like guiding principle, not that it would define my research, but it would be a consideration. Because sometimes you, you could come up with the most magnificent piece of research that tells you something really radical. But if that was going to make things really tough for students and potentially affect their well-being, it wasn't likely to benefit my research or, or my critically annotated bibliography. That's a really clear kind of roundup of the context there. And I, and I really like that kind of pragmatism about, you know, we're never going to nail this this kind of in finality, but here's a contribution. And also that well-being aspect, particularly in the time of COVID, is really important. So it's great to kind of set your stall out before you start with something like this. So what did you end up with choosing to, to kind of inform uh, your contribution to this? Yeah, so I started by looking at some key texts about feedback and um, going down the rabbit hole of who people had referenced and who people had cited on various bits and pieces that I'd read. I came across a really important piece of work by Hattie and Timperley. It's uh, an article called The Power of Feedback, and um, it's a meta-analysis of loads of different um, research undertaken by previous researchers. And because it's a meta-analysis, it felt to me quite reliable and quite comprehensive. And it's been cited by a lot of other people. So I thought, well, this is trustworthy. I could have uh, dug a little bit deeper into the original research that they'd kind of consolidated, but that felt to me like one layer too deep. That that would be like um, going slightly too deep in the inception uh, sort of structure of things but anyway the the kind of key points that were drawn out from that research were that effective feedback answers three questions and those three questions were where am i going how am i going and where to next it was really interesting that those are all sort of pushing forward those are all feedback is it's not about where you are now it's about it's about where you're going to get to how are you going to develop your learning and the way Hattie and Timberley structured this is that feedback can be sort of targeted at, at four areas. And that, that is the sort of task level or task area and how well tasks are understood or performed by learners. The process level, which feeds back on the main processes needed to understand or perform a task. The self-regulation level, which is kind of your individual perception, your choices around what you do at a task. And then self-level, personal evaluations and effects, um, usually positive about the learner. I'm reading those out. I haven't just memorized them, um, but <laughs> I feel like they're, they're definitely worth um, definitely worth like re- re- repeating there. Really interesting one is this self-level because that, that would be your kind of, oh, well done, Matthew. You, you, you did an assignment and you finished it on time. And maybe it's quite easy to give feedback of that nature, but the other ones certainly, like for me as a novice teacher developing my uh, ability and giving feedback, um, they've provided a lot of food for thought. But this uh, meta-analysis, as as I mentioned, from Hattie and Timperley, uh, 2007, so I tried to get everything from the last 10 years, but this was just outside of that, but I felt it was justifiable given that it was so research informed and so heavily cited yeah it's hard to do feedback without doing hattie really isn't it <laughs> yeah absolutely so you know i was looking i was looking for a few headliners a few few big names at the feedback festival and and those guys came up 
So the next source that I selected was by Dylan William, and he, he he's an expert in assessment for learning. But I think um, assessment for learning and feedback is sort of you know left hand to right hand. So this article is really short. It, it, it's maybe like seven or eight pages, and I imagine that maybe teachers, if they ever get lunch breaks anymore, could 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 read this in the staff room. It'd be really easy. It's called The Secret of Effective Feedback, and that title is really enticing because um, we'd all want to know the secret. And rather than looking at the qualities of feedback like Hattie and Timperley had, William was more talking about the value of feedback and how to get the most out of it you know, what's the point of feedback if students don't use it? And how can we as teachers make feedback appealing to them? So it felt like a really practical, really pragmatic source. Uh, Dylan William was saying, you know, kind of don't overcomplicate it, make it relevant, make it accessible. And I really like the point he makes about use using relationships. He talks very much that if a student doesn't know you and doesn't trust you, uh, they won't trust your feedback. They won't act on your feedback because they won't believe what you have to say and they won't believe what you have to say is going to help them get better. And I felt like all of that really tied in with that kind of um, well-being uh, context as well, because in blended learning, relationships are really important, you know, in a stressful time in COVID-19 and a pandemic. If you've got a good relationship with a student, you can say, look, I'm going to give you some feedback, you know, I'm addressing these areas that you've worked really hard on, but you're not quite there yet. And this is what you need to do in order to get there. That has got so much more meaning than saying, well, I don't know who you are, but that that performance was all right, but here's what to do to improve. Just from a student's perspective, um, you know, that, that would change things. And it sounds so logical and it sounds so simple talking about it now, but actually there's there's not always that clarity in research sometimes. So it was really great to have Dylan William just, you know, a, a voice in the ear that was very simple and, and obvious to understand. Two reassuringly big names so far then, Hattie and William. It's, I like that human side to the feedback as well. It's easy for it to turn into a very kind of dry thing to think about. So I found that a really refreshing angle. Yeah, absolutely. So after I'd kind of set my stall out a little bit with regards to what is quality feedback and what is valuable feedback, now I needed to express a bit more about what blended learning kind of is uh, what it can mean and, and and kind of how we're doing it. And I did a lot of reading and research into this that, that didn't make it into the assignment but because it kind of wasn't necessary. It, it Maybe some of it didn't have anything to do with feedback. And I really wanted my sources to have something to do with feedback. But a couple of key points. Um, definition of blended learning. I tried to leave this really open and I, I found a great one from Seneth Learning or Seneth Research blog, for, which has a Welsh connection as well. And it basically said blended learning typically means combining face-to-face -face learning in school with learning from home, usually using digital tools. So, well, that's perfect. Every single school, no matter how differently they're doing it, they're probably doing something along those lines. And then secondly, again, context specific, the blended learning that, that has been experienced during the COVID-19 pandemic isn't the kind of blended learning that's been researched. The, the kind of blended learning that's been the core of research has been maybe university-based and quite controlled studies with a very specifically designed program of learning uh, and possibly even with some control uh, elements to it. Whereas in reality, the kind of blended learning that we've been doing in schools is more like emergency remote teaching or reactive 
uh, teaching in re- in response to the social need in response to the pandemic. So, uh, like that, that wasn't something that always came through in the literature, but it was a really important context to me because there's no point me saying, okay, it takes six weeks to design a perfect blended learning program that integrates these aspects of feedback, because that's not the world that we're living in. You know, we're, we're trying to do this a bit more on the day-to-day, I, I don't want to say on the fly, because I really do think teachers have thought about this and done their research, but, you, you know, back at the start of the pandemic, that wasn't necessarily the case. Interestingly, this this really tied in well with Daisy Christodoulou's uh, latest book, Teachers Versus Tech, and Christodoulou's whole um, book really was about advocating for the use of technology. So it's quite timely, but already a bit dated because she's advocating for something that we, we've kind of already grabbed hold of. But the essence of her, her two two key points that I sort of drew out was that we should be using technology that is actually proven to be useful, not not things that are just faddy, full of bells and whistles, but things that are really going to influence and improve outcomes for learners and possibly for teachers as well like if you can save time great save time but if you save time at the expense of learning um that's that's not so ideal is it and then the second thing was actually about online quizzes and sort of adaptive learning programs this was really interesting because i knew that quizzes were being used a lot in school and i wanted to know what are they actually good for what are they not so good for and can you give meaning feedback from an online quiz. So Christodoulou basically claims that adaptive quizzes are going to be really, really helpful over the next few years as you could build up. But basically, a student has a quiz, they answer some questions, depending on the answers, they get presented with different questions and different learning uh, plans. Teachers get a whole wealth of data about common misconceptions about who's doing well and who's not, where they're falling down and so on and so forth. And it's really promising, but I I actually looked into some of the research behind this and I found that the research highlighted a few issues maybe with adaptive uh, adaptive quizzes or online quizzes that are probably quite logical to us. They're they're quite limited in what they can test and basically they're they're brilliant for low stakes recall, but kind of it seems to me that there's diminishing returns after that. If you're doing anything that requires any kind of critical analysis or critical thinking, they probably won't help you. And in music, we don't do, we we haven't historically at least done a ton of low stakes recall. It's it's not always been a feature of music teaching. However, um, over the last six, nine months, it's probably featured a lot more. Yeah, this whole knowledge-based kind of movement, I suppose, you hear a lot about knowledge-based curriculums and things. And, and I always think the same as you, it tends to fall down in certain subject areas, which I wonder whether they've fully remembered <laughs> when they're pushing some of these things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but nevertheless, I, I found this to be a really great resource. And, and it got me to thinking, okay, I could do some quizzes, I could do some adaptive quizzes, and I could integrate some um, feedback into those. And um, I'll talk about this later about video based feedback. But basically, I, I, I tried to give some additional feedback on these quizzes using videos that I made that gave explanations of musical examples. And uh, <laughs> I immediately ran into uh, a bit of a, 
a, a, a sticking point in that very few people access those videos. I could see they were hosted on YouTube and I could see the number of views that they were getting was really low. So that, and that was a really interesting like experience for me. Okay. I've read these things in the research and I've immediate, there was a key point from Dylan William that I that maybe didn't pay enough attention to, which is you've got to have a relationship with the students and you've got to maybe actually direct their attention to the feedback and how it might be valuable to them. So it was all very well me saying, okay, answer this question. Tell me whether this music is um, using swing rhythms or straight rhythms. They answer the question, maybe they get it wrong. And then because they've got it wrong, they automatically get a video, which is me explaining why it's swing rhythms. Well, they're not going to watch it. They're, <laughs> they're, not, they're not interested. They're not bothered. I haven't established that relationship with them. I haven't told them the feedback to there. It's not going to be useful feedback to them at that point. And that was really interesting to me, sort of combining some of the research there. Um, quite, quite a good learning experience for me. So um, I'll talk now about the, the fourth source that I had. This um, was by Clark and Mayer. It's a chapter in a book, and the book is called um, E-Learning and the Science of Instruction, Proven Guidelines for Consumers and Designers of Multimedia Learning. <laughs> That's a real mouthful. Sounds promising. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, and um, I, I picked this up as a, from a reference or a citation somewhere. And I thought, well, I'll have a look at it. You know, they've got a chapter in there about feedback and assessment. And I started reading it and the first page is quite dense. And it's all, it's really aimed at, I don't know, people who uh, build online platforms for re- high-end corporate businesses where may- maybe so-and-so needs to learn about how to use this really dry system at work and they've got an IT guy who's going to build a, a program probably on Flash or Adobe or, or whatever it is to, to to make that work for them and uh, as I was going through this I, I sort of got past that bit but all of a sudden there started to be really obvious but sensible and research-backed uh, gems absolutely fantastic things that, that make so much sense for example place feedback so learners can see their question the response and the feedback in one place well yeah like that, that makes so much sense we that's that's probably what we would do you know with an exam paper why don't we do that online and then for multi-step problems provide step-by-step feedback well yeah like that that ties in with Hattie and Timperley. That ties in with Dylan William. For questions with multiple answers, show the correct answer next to the learner's answer and include explanations for all correct answers. Brilliant. So basically, this unexpected source, really um, high tech maybe, kind of came to fruition. And I realised that actually teachers now, we're not just um, classroom teachers. We are designers of e-learning environments we are making decisions about what software what systems to use so these principles apply as much to us as they do to anyone else a couple of other points that came from clark and mayer that i really thought was um, quite interesting firstly which is the matching of feedback to the task Um, if you've got a complex task audio feedback is is probably going to be better and more comprehensive than written feedback. You get so much more through, you know, the inflections in someone's voice, tone of voice, and and that can really help a learner to, to understand what the feedback is and where it's going. And I thought about how can that be relevant in music? Well, 
you could literally give uh, audio feedback to a recorded performance. So if someone gives a performance, usually you would uh, write down some notes and hand them a piece of paper and it says, at this bit you did that, and at this bit you did that, and now you need to improve. But if you record that performance, and then you play that performance back and you speak over the top of it, maybe pausing it here or there where you're giving specific feedback. For example, as you're getting to the verse, you can say, you can pause it and you say, okay, when you get to the verse, you, you go a little bit too loud. And then that student can hear everything and it's it's placed so appropriately and they would get the tone of voice so they'd understand that it's not kind of a big deal. They'd build some trust with you. It just felt to me really valuable. And the second thing that Clark and May talk about ties in with some other sources as well is peer feedback. Difficult to do online, but not impossible. You need to get the tech sorted. You need to build the skills in learners as well. But what, you know, as a novice teacher, I hadn't necessarily appreciated that peer feedback actually doesn't benefit the person receiving the feedback as much as it benefits the person giving the feedback. When you give feedback, you have to think about so many things. So peer feedback, that act of telling someone else what they could do to improve, whether they act on it or not, actually is irrelevant to you. The act of you working out what someone else needs to do to improve will help you as an individual. So I thought I thought that was just brilliant. And, and this, um, I, I don't have favourites in my sources, but I'm really particularly keen on the, on this one. And I think it's going to be quite influential in, well, it was quite influential in, in sort of a swing point in, in the assignment for me. Really practical and pragmatic, all that stuff, isn't it? And we need a bit of that in our lives. Yeah, for sure. So the last two um, sources that I that I put forward were specific about music, subject specific. All through the other sources, I was able to draw out something musical from them. But the, but I wanted to talk or put forward sources that were by musicians about music and how feedback is, is used. And I went right back to basics and I went to Philpot and Evans. It's a chapter called Assessment in Music Education. And it's in the book, Learning to Teach Music in the Secondary School. And I figured that, you know, a lot of early career teachers maybe would be familiar with this. Maybe there's previous editions of this book that um, more senior teachers might know. So it would be like a common text to us all. Um, Philpot and Evans, they, they talk about feedback in music should be focused on musical skills and knowledge and relate to specific and clear criteria. But... Um, a kind of there's other literature from the from the sort of music canon or a research by Swanick, which kind of I was reading at the time and it threw up a big question mark. It's like, okay, well you're telling me feedback in music should focus on musical skills and knowledge, but your musical skills and knowledge and that that you value will be different to what I value as a musician. So that immediately threw up a challenge to me in that different value judgments in music are, are going to undermine feedback efficiency there there is a subjective and a values-based element to music and we need to recognize that and that kind of click uh, links into the second part of philpot and evans's points which was that sometimes in music it's perfectly appropriate and maybe it's best to just leave well alone um if someone's been and, and given a really expressive performance about something that's deeply personal to them you you need to exercise your professional judgment you need to prioritize well-being over achievement you need to be cautious of giving feedback on the self level and maybe just saying thank you very much you know you've 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 done an excellent job there would be enough 
um, and that that can be the feedback. <clears throat> you, you know, you don't always have to be a perfectionist because your idea of perfect and the values that you you place on it might conflict with someone else's, and that could be damaging. So it's a bit of a warning, um, but really, really uh, useful one all the same. And then moving on to the final source now, this was um, by uh, Hatch. It's called Going Beyond It Sounds Good, Developing Student Capacity to Give Meaningful Feedback. And it's quite a short article. And it draws some sort of qualitatively and anecdotally from the author's teaching practice. They've researched and uh, they've used lots of different um peer feedback tools in, in their own classroom practice and it was an excellent source in terms of I, I kind of imagine myself well you know in a, in a couple of years if I if I've done a bit more research then I could I could talk about how I've used that in a classroom and teachers at the school that I was doing this research for they, they could really connect to it as well um, so a couple of key points in this source were that, again, like Philpot and Evans, that performance and composition can be really personal. So there's vulnerability involved in giving and receiving feedback, remembering that this source is more based on uh, peer feedback, student capacity to give peer feedback. And so because of that vulnerability, you've got to create a learning environment that's a safe space where mistakes are embraced and the feedback that you give and receive is, is done in a, in a sensitive way. Hatch really acknowledged that giving feedback is hard, and I really um, was sympathetic to this point after having researched feedback and, and at certain points, you know, confused myself and really had to unpick what what quality and valuable feedback meant. Just thinking, you know, it's not, it's not easy at all. So, how do we expect students to do that really well? How do we expect students who aren't, aren't professional feedback givers to give good quality feedback? Well. Hatch talks about using scaffolding, talks about modelling, talks about providing uh, lists of terminology that could be used, talks about um, even conversation frames and, 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 and processes that you could use in a classroom. And, and I thought that that would be like really interesting to do, especially I'm quite a big fan of, in some regards, like protocol-based approaches to things and having routines. And that actually came out in some of the research about blended learning. For example, Kai and Wang and Doug Lemov, they, they talked about having a protocol-based approach to your classroom. You know, you come in, you take your chairs out, you stand by your chairs, you, you do your start or whatever, doing the same online and doing the same through peer feedback as well. And the, the final thing that Hatch brought out is that music making is, is not a checklist. So you, you need to leave some space. You need to leave room for those value judgments. It, it would be perfectly possible to provide a rubric, meet all the aspects of that rubric. A student doing peer feedback could say, yeah, you've ticked all these boxes, but you need to provide some space for interpretation and creativity. And it's really valuable to provide feedback outside of a rubric or a checklist sometimes. And I think that also, again, ties in with aspects of Hattie and Timperley, certainly ties in with Dylan William about this trust um, and relationship. It, you know, the, those last two sources don't talk so much about blended learning, but then it's up to us as the teachers understanding these pedagogical aspects, understanding the research to do our due diligence, like um, Daisy Christodoulou says, and say, well, these are the things that are going to make quality feedback. Is this technology or is this software going to enable that? Is it going to lead to that? Uh, you know, is me giving a lecture on 
Teams or Google Class, Google Meet, going to enable me to give feedback about these things. So you know, everything comes back into into a a kind of um, ecosystem, I suppose. Well, one of the things I really, really enjoyed about this assignment, amongst many things, was the way you managed in just six sources to really kind of, you know, you really made them count. We've got the reassuringly big names of feedback and assessment for learning, you know, Hattie, William. We've got the reassuringly big names of music education there. Phil Pott, Swanick is mentioned, um, Evans. And we've we've got, you know, the really pragmatic, you know, how do you build it source? And we've got Daisy Krista Dooley, who's very up to the minute, you know, big name, well known in, in kind of teaching circles. And, you know, you managed to kind of take that really widely chosen set of sources and keep your focus on the subject of music and and focus that down into some really really clear conclusions and we asked you to produce a visual kind of version of that and present it to your lead school so how did that go and what did you say to them yeah i I mean making the infographic was was really interesting actually because i was able to strip out a lot of the i don't be offended but the the academic stuff (laughs) (laughs) just present that you know rather than saying oh this source is good because it's really critical of these things you know i left out anything negative the school doesn't want to know that the school just wants to know what are the key points what the positive impacts that this research can have on our practice and and hopefully for us benefit things for our students so i just told them you know hattie and simply it says this it says do this it says do that it says this is a positive thing so I, I presented, you know, it, it's a it's a really nice looking table with colour and icons that someone could put up on the wall of a staff room or, or a music office somewhere and just have a quick look at to remind themselves. And so presenting that was, was really straightforward to, to do in, in some respects. Once, once the work is done, um, once once the graphic is done, it's, it speaks for itself. And, and, and we were able to have a, a discussion about about feedback about what was good about the research um and also just articulate some some next steps as well at the bottom of the infographic i kind of had these three three areas what type of feedback could i use so for example complex tasks consider audio feedback performances consider narrated video feedback um, recall consider automated feedback from online quizzes and very personal expressive performances considered just leave well alone that, that's one box and then had some key points that if you only had 10 seconds to look at the infographic at least you'd get something out of it and then i i wanted to like it's diff- you don't want to overstep the mark i, I don't work at this school I, I'm, I'm not telling them what to do with their lives but i felt it was important to articulate what they could do next so just three simple steps that came out of this for me and and so these are three simple steps of, of what i would do add a where to next sentence stem or thinking frame to feedback policy and practice for both teacher and peer feedback so that's one you where to next number two we talked a lot about well-being and feedback well research it research student perception of feedback get to know how you can influence student perception of feedback maybe do some action research and student forums and then the third thing also connected to that was the monitor the impact of feedback but not not just on student achievement but also monitor the impact of, st- of feedback on student well-being coming out of the context of, of what we've discussed so in terms of the visual summary I, I quite enjoyed doing it um took a bit of time to, to get it to look how i wanted it to look but the content was all done 
through the assignment, but it made you think, okay, what points have I actually made here? What's the essence of it? If, if someone said to me, you've done some research, you know, it's your elevator pitch basically, isn't it? You've got 30 seconds, tell me what I should do. Well, these are the things you should do and, and that's the research that, that proves it or, or that suggests that you should do it. Uh, that was what the infographic was. So the school got a huge amount to take away from from the assignment. But I suppose my final question is, is for you personally, I mean, the assignment was was hopefully for you personally as well. I mean, where next for you as a teacher and, and where next for you as a researcher? Good question. Where next for me as a teacher? Clinical practice too. <laughs> and of hopefully, course, more yeah. ta- hopefully more time physically in school. But also, you know, using using these these sources, using the research that I found, thinking quite consciously and quite conscientiously about the feedback that I give, how I give the feedback. You know, I've already tried out a couple of the things. As I mentioned earlier, I tried those explanation videos and, you know, they went not, not perfectly, but learning from that. And then as a researcher, yes, certainly like student perception of feedback. I think if I was continuing the sort of... Um, the, the feedback uh, theme, but also from this uh, kind of um, research, a lot of thoughts emerged about, well, because not all of it is talking about music in terms of performance and uh, composition and, and, and really, really those sort of uniquely musical aspects. It got me thinking a lot about what does music do well in, in blended learning? Why have we had to change the way we're teaching a little bit? What aspects of that can we carry on what what are we going to bin off immediately and and get straight back to you know making loud music in classrooms which is just the best and i came to the conclusion that actually it's sort of the literacy side of things and uh, the historic and the academic side of things of of music is is has got a lot of untapped potential that was you know foregrounded and highlighted through blended learning maybe there's more to do with that maybe looking at where the literacy and numeracy framework can kind of come into its own through music will be a bit of interest to me so i think that's probably the next phase for me well thanks matthew that's been a a really really interesting rundown of of a great piece of research that you've done i'll make sure that all the references to your six sources are in the notes for this episode in case anyone wants to go and have a read of them uh, for themselves but thanks for your generosity and giving your time today it's it's been really interesting my pleasure thanks so much for asking me to talk PGC Research Bites comes from the team behind Emma and Tom Talk Teaching and is presented this week by me, Tom Breeze. It showcases the best student-teacher research from the Cardiff Partnership for Initial Teacher Education. Thanks to Matthew Green from PGCE Secondary Music who joined us today to share his research. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blandford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We'll be back with a regular episode next week and PGCE Research Bites will be back in a fortnight. 